Coming to you from Riverside Avenue in mischievous, explosive Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. Widget Satchel is out this week. So for this episode, we've each picked a topic relating to the content you can find in the game, which, if you don't already know, is available for Switch on Nintendo eShop and for PC on Steam and Itch. And so, if everyone's ready, let's start. Finally! Yay! After, it's been almost exactly two years. Uh, oh, yeah. Because the jam Because we did it in version, January, right? No, it was December 1st. Oh, you're right, it was. 2017. Oh, my goodness. It, wow, it has almost been two years. Yeah. Basically two years. <laughs> <laughs> Let's round up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, by virtue of a few days. Yeah, yeah. Just That's... about. And certainly, we'd already been, we'd started to plan for the jam by that date. So, it's mm-hmm. like pretty much dead on. Yeah, wow. Dang. But it's almost out. Yeah. Well, for it, for uh, for us, it's still about a week and a half. Yes. Uh, for listeners, it'll be out tomorrow. Right. Or if Martha has uh, some trouble editing this episode today. <laughs> hey, hey! <laughs> I resemble that remark. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a it's a little dangerous to release a game this late in the year. Mm. I think that's one of the first things you learn as an indie dev. Like, don't get crushed by stuff. Yeah. Um, but the more we looked into it, um, the more it. It's felt sort of um, a, a good choice. It's amongst the terrible choices. Um, yeah. One of the interesting things I learned was just like exactly how this is structured. So um, all of the big fall games, the, a lot of them come out in October. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of that is so that they can sort of like be on shelves. Right. right. When it's time to buy them. Um, not many games come out like Black Friday week, the way the widget satchel is. But as a digital game, it is it makes a lot of sense because this is when um, people will be holed up in their great aunt's uh, guest room uh, <laughs> looking for a new video game to play yeah. while the adults, uh, you know, have uh, turkey and stuffing. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my marketing plan. <laughs> yeah, hey, that's, I think that's smart. That yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Um, but then, you know, if you're uh, waiting a little further into December where it's very dry, not a lot of releases in December. Mm-hmm. And uh, two reasons for that. One is like it's a little, it's, it's past, you know, the shopping season has begun, right? Yeah. Although, again, that matters less and less over time, mm-hmm. especially when you're not on retail shelves. Yeah. But also... All of the press is all doing all their game of year things that are all taking vacations or they've written all their content and it's going to auto publish over the course of December. Mm -hmm. So like it's a bad time to get press. So Uh um, we just found that one little window uh, in there and there's very few games coming out. I think it's, you know, it's a bit of a test to see if it'll work, but uh, you're listening to this so we can talk directly to you. Yes. Uh, Please buy Widget Satchel. Yeah, please. (laughs) Let's do. Yeah. Let's do. It's, do it. It's, 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 you know, it's not very expensive or anything either, right? It's, was, was it 15 bucks? Yep, but it's on sale this week. Yes. Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> because launch discounts are a thing you have to do. <laughs> but it's worth it, y'all. You yes, it. yes. It's fun. It's got a lot of content in it. We, stuffed it to, we spent two years on this game. Yeah. So we've yeah. stuffed it to the brim with a bunch of content and stuff. Yeah. And so. it's uh, replayable. I think that yes. was one of the things we wanted to do very early on. It's like any, um, when you're working at this scale, you can only make a game so long. Right. And so, so you want to uh, not just have things that like uh, make it replayable as a fact, but mm. actually make things that make it uh, design it so it's valuable as a replayable yeah. experience. And so we definitely did a lot of that. So you'll play through the game once and there might be a moment where you're like, okay, I get that's pretty good. But like, is there more? And then you play through it again and you're like, oh, okay, there's a little more. And then the third time you play through it's like, oh, there's a lot more. <laughs> so a lot of times uh, if I do play a game twice, which is not that often, frankly, um, unless games are specifically designed for that. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you end up finding a whole lot more in the second playthrough, but very frequently that is, that is what it's designed for is like the second time around, but widget satchel is designed to continually pay off yes. the more you play it. And yep. so I really hope that people find that. Um, I, I don't know if they will. I really hope they do though. I keep saying, I'm really looking forward to playing this game on the bus. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've explicitly decided not to purchase Pokemon because I know I'll only play it for like two weeks and widget <laughs> satchel will be out. And then I'll display that instead. <laughs> so I've just decided I'm just not going to buy Pokemon specifically. So you heard it here. Widget Satchel instead of Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> That's the hill we're dying on. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you need your furret fix. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, apparently furret, which is, I don't know anything about Pokemon. So I'm a total charlatan in this area. But uh, furret is a ferret style Pokemon yeah. and is not in Sword and Shield. Which is a travesty. One, one of the, one of the you know, amount of people are not part of in the big P- Pokedex scandal or whatever. Uh. But... <laughs> It's a big deal. <laughs> um, so uh, just as a fun little uh, stunt, we, uh, I, I made an a, a image of Sprocket as Furret. Yeah. Uh, and we, we put that out on Twitter. So oh, we, can, we can put a link to that. But yeah. it, that was fun to do. 
just as a little last minute, uh, yeah, riding the coattails of the launch of Pokemon <laughs> last week. Yeah, we got ferrets. Pokemon mm-hmm. don't. Yeah. That's, <laughs> we do not want Nintendo. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, so, Oh, yes, go ahead. Oh, so we'll talk more about the game through yes. the episode, but the, the, what we wanted to do is, you know, I've talked, I know, a lot just about Widget Satchel well, in previous episodes. You've done a have. lot of work, so. Yeah, yeah uh, <laughs> I'm, a little, I'm a little sick of it. Um, so we're going to try to talk about things that um, that are adjacent to Widget Satchel in this, yes. and we've each picked a thing, so we'll get into that. But we've got some meta news up there. Yes, we do. Uh, Mark has been... Uh, uh, who, me? Yes, you. <laughs> you are Couldn't he- be. Then who? <laughs> he is an IGDATC board member now. Yes. Which is really exciting. Yeah, so the International Game Developer Association, that's what it is, right? <laughs> that I'm a part of. You need to know that now. Yeah, I do. I, yeah. Um, it, uh, the Twin Cities chapter has been going on for a long, long time, yeah. like 15 years. Oh, I didn't um, know that. that was yeah, long. yeah. Okay. Uh, every time I hear that, I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, we do uh, uh, monthly meetings, um, and we do uh, you know uh, social events and networking, and um, it's a big presence on the the, um, the the community Slack. Yeah. Uh, and it's just one of the focal points of the I- indie development community here in the Twin Cities. And it's always been kind of a of a of a casual affair, and that's what's great about it. There's no you don't have to be an IDG member um, to join mm-hmm. uh, or to to attend things, uh, which is really great. It's helped it grow a little bit. Um, and so um, subsequently, we don't. The organization didn't have a lot of ties to the parent uh, uh, group. Um, uh, uh, not so much more than just sort of general uh, associations. Yeah. But I think um, uh, the 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 guy who runs it now, uh, Marty, he is um, trying to do a little bit more to sort of make the the chapter a little more official. Maybe get some financial support from okay. the parent organization. Um, be able to do some fundraising and 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 really step it up, right? Next yeah. step. So one of the things he wanted to do is like, well, let's have official board seats. Let's actually let's make it a little bit more formalized. And so um, he put, he put out a call to people in the community, like, do you want to join the board and help shape it? And I'm like, sure, I do. And so that's the trouble I'm in right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's I think that's great because I think that you, I mean, we, uh, I mean, part of being part of Nice Games Club, we kind of have a little bit of influence already. But like, mm-hmm. uh, we're very important. Oh yes. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> But now Mark Warsaw. <laughs> but I, I think it's good because, like, I know that you'll bring a lot of uh, good, good, you know, good things to to the IGDA community. I hope so. And the other people who you know put their hand up and volunteered mm-hmm. uh, um, to to stand for a board seat, all of them are amazing. Yeah. So it's it's a really good group of people and a bunch of fresh ideas, and that's kind of what you need so often. Mm-hmm. And, and what's great is that. It is it is meant to be a rotating thing. So my board seat is for two years, and maybe I want to do it past that, or maybe I want to have a project I want to get done and then uh, move on. And and yeah. and and so uh, a sustainable community requires a little bit of infrastructure, and I, and I'm glad we're working towards a little bit more of that. And I'm really happy to be a part of it. Yeah, that's great. That's mm-hmm. great. I'm glad. Um, and other news, Dale is at Protospiel. Yes. What is Protospiel? Okay, so Protospiel, um, actually, it's Mini Spiel. Mini Spiel. Right now, uh, um, it's a it's an offshoot of, of, oh. of Protospiel, <laughs> okay. um, which is a, a prototyping event where you you know you bring your board. It's for board tabletop and board games. Sure. Uh, you bring your prototype um, uh, to a big big space, yeah. and then you play test it for hours. With oh, dang! That sounds intense. <laughs> yeah, and the Mini Spiel is a mini version of that. Okay. And that's going on uh, this weekend where we're recording. And Stephen, you haven't heard this yet, but listeners have. Mm-hmm. Um, our yeah. Nice Games Jam episode um, from, I guess, last week. Um, where Dale was uh, was a guest hosting, filling in for you. Right, yeah. And uh, Martha and I and her uh, uh, designed a storytelling card game uh, where you t- tell a story backwards. It's really interesting. It was a cool, very good prompt that Ooh. Dylan gave us. And um, after we were done with it, we really liked it. And Dale sort of hunkered down and like worked on it a little bit more. Okay, um, so cool. So um, uh, hopefully the, you, the listener, will have seen the show notes by now. We have not read them yet. Um, <laughs> but Dale's updated rules will include those, or will have done, including them. Um, <laughs> And uh, you can see uh, the next step she's doing, but like she's play tested it a couple times. She took it to the um, the IGDA meeting uh, this okay. month, yeah, and uh, it went over pretty well. So uh, she kind of wants to move it forward, and I'm really, really like proud of her. That's exciting. Yeah, and the, the improvements she made are like. I mean, Martha, you remember, we're like, we thought we had something. Mm-hmm. And we're like, but this, this, or this, this would be fixed. Dale, like, figured it out. Oh, that's so wow. cool. Yeah, I'm looking cool. forward to look, seeing what how that goes and the feedback she gets mm-hmm. and knowing what she added and all that stuff. Yeah. 
I'm looking forward to listening to this episode. Right, you know nothing about this <laughs> yeah, game. I'm like, okay, this sounds really cool. I want to be part of it. Oh, dang it, why do I have to be in Seattle? Yeah. <laughs> but it's felt like the nice games jams, we've done a lot of them now. Yeah. And they're one hour game jams. And we were like, not sure they would be either interesting or that useful. But we've already come up with a couple of games we're really, really proud of that we would, in a, you know, if we had the time, we'd love to develop more. And this is one that Dale does want to, you know, pick up and run with. So uh, it's pretty exciting. So uh, that's just my endorsement for the like fast brainstorming sessions or one hour game jams or something that you can just really like churn out quickly an idea without a lot of expectation that you could then once you've done it you can then evaluate it and then you've got something so you can move on or it can inspire you to do something else so it's been it's a really cool exercise yeah we're starting to really benefit from it Mm -hmm. that's great okay uh my topic that i've decided is related to widget satchel i guess is metroidvania level design you seem really really confident yes <laughs> <laughs> well i mean widget satchel is sort sort of a metroidvania it's like light metroidvania light metroidvania light yeah. that's the, the trademark term yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and we're so, saving the animals <laughs> yes <laughs> oh ooh, i got you <laughs> um and so uh, uh oh, I, would, I should save that for the transition pretend i saving that for the transition <laughs> This out. Um, um, yeah, so I wanted to talk about it largely because, like, we did a lot of work in planning out the whole, like, the world uh, um, that Sprocket goes through as you progress through the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to bring up, like, uh, a lot of this stuff was inspired from previous Metroidvanias and um, their, you know, how they designed all of their levels and stuff. Level design and Metroidvanias are quite different from regular platformers in that, like, you're each level, quote unquote, is, like, you know, a part of an actual world. So everything has to feel connected. Mm-hmm. in some way. But you also need to lock the player, well, at least in a traditional Metroidvania, you need to lock the player off from getting access to certain levels or areas in the game yes. um, through their progression. Like, when they get an item that allows them to do more stuff, then they can go to this new spot. Right, it's a physical narrative. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, uh, uh, each each piece needs to feel connected. It needs to, um, it needs to feel like a part of the world, but it also needs to, you also need to gate people from doing things, which mm-hmm. is a little counterintuitive, but it all works together in a way that's great. <laughs> um, oftentimes these games are built with like exploration in mind. So, uh, and Widget Satchel is all about exploration. So, uh, well, what a lot of times like players feel rewarded or encouraged and oftentimes I guess they feel forced to do it too, because like in order to progress, you need to, you know, find the thing you need to find. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, I guess a few things like you could that um, developers have used to or kept in mind when they were doing these things. A few tricks that they have done in the past. Um, I could go over some. Um, like in the first Metroid, for example, in that first area, you use, you come down in a little elevator, um, and uh, because this Metroid do, is do, a, <laughs> do <laughs> having annoying elevator music. No, I don't know. <laughs> Just like Metroid. Um, I was um, thinking like, oh, I should hum them the, that. Sound little metro, but oh no, Martha's doing it. Oh no, you're doing a different design. <laughs> oh, I yeah. don't know. I was just trying to make a joke about elevators. I don't haven't ever played a Metroid I mean, game. Maybe Metroid would be better if it had a little crappy elevator music. <laughs> I don't know. There was, sorry, this is off topic, but there was a platform we were watching a Let's Play up, and part of it was they had an elevator, and you had to be in the elevator for a really long time, and then the music changed to be like elevator music, and then uh-huh. it changed back when you got to the top of it. Anyway, that's pretty great. <laughs> Continue. I'm sorry. No, you're right. Um, okay, so yeah, uh, in a traditional platformer, you you know you started a thing and you go from left to right. So um, if you are you know not versed in Metroid games, you would just you know go to the right because you think that's what you're supposed to do. But haha, the, the developers tricked you that you're actually supposed to go to the left and get the morph ball power up, which allows you to you know shrink into a one square space size yeah. and go through little things. And it teaches you that right away. Yes, because yes, if you does. do normal platforming techniques. You, you you hit a wall. Right, you'll get stuck, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the game like uh, tells you that like this is not a traditional platform and you need to explore and you need to find things uh, right away in that first challenge. That, and, and I think other Metroidvania games have done similar things. Mm-hmm. Widget Satchel does that a little bit too in the beginning where like we have little, you can, there are some widgets you can pick up at the, on the left. Yeah. But, like it tells players, you don't have to go to the right, you can also go to the left. But interesting, we have we have little hints to the like secret areas. Yeah. But if you don't pay a lot of attention, it does play very traditionally. Right. And that's by design mm-hmm. because we um one, the language is there. Yeah. Right. Metroid had a unique challenge of like of the, a game like that hadn't been made at least in in wide release. Yeah. And so that wasn't wouldn't be familiar with it. It's very specific, just like how the first Mario, you know, the one the famous one one teaches you how to play kind yeah. of idea. Um, with Widget Attach, we wanted it to be one thing 
but another thing and you sort of like little teases mm. to it. And I think games now have that luxury. Yeah. Whereas Metroid did not. Yes. Yeah. They, they discovered all this stuff on that. Man, I, I really like hearing about how game designers figured out stuff yeah. in the early days because like they all invented all this stuff. And there were so many, you know, experiments and a lot of them failed, but like they tried something and that's just yeah. really fascinating and cool. Um, another thing you can do in a Metroidvania game, actually another thing you should make sure to do if you're, you know, um, designing a level um, in Metroidvania game uh, is to do a lot of signposting. So like make it clear that you can't progress this way um, unless you have this thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you make like, like for example, a lot of Metroidvanias give you a double jump ability or something to like wall jump or climb or whatever else. Mm -hmm. So if you make a gap that's too long for the player to get to, um, and it's very clear, like if you try to make a jump, you're like half a screen away from it. Um, then like the player go, well, I guess I'll have to come back and get to this later or something. And what's, what you really want to do is you want to put something on the other side that lets the player know that you, that the player should go this way, Yes. but give them, make it so obvious that there is nothing, no trick right now they can just do. Right. Right. And so then that makes them confident that this isn't a dead end. But also, I shouldn't waste my time here. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, That's and it, a tough balance. It is yeah. a tough balance. It's hard because, like, yeah, I think when we were doing playtesting for Widget Satchel, a lot of people would, like, well, with some of the jumps, a lot of people would keep trying to jump at a thing because, like, they thought they could make it. Mm -hmm. And because of the way Widget Satchel's designed, your jump height is uh, variable. So right. that like affects things too. Right. And that's, that's the burden we had is because yeah. that's a bit of a new language. Yes. Uh, Not that it's a totally unique mechanic, but. Burden. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. <laughs> uh huh. Um, so we. So it's almost a sort of internal locking yeah. mechanism that sort of is is lives in the air. And right. so we did have to do a little bit of signposting where we didn't expect mm -hmm. uh, yeah. to make some of those places easier and to uh, explain the concepts early on so that when it happens later, the player would think that that was one of the possibilities yes. for why something wasn't was or wasn't working. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Part of the tutorial, there's a spot right where you get some widgets and that makes you heavier and then you can't get up a certain way you have to go a different way mm -hmm. yeah exactly um it's also important to make these signposts apparent and clear and obvious because when you eventually get this power up you know that um you can go back to this thing and you know do the thing that mm -hmm. they want you to do um because uh, a lot of a lot of part a lot of metroidvanias are about like memorization and map navigation and figuring out where you need to go next and all that stuff mm -hmm. um and so uh it's very important that the player can remember what things they can do next because it's very frustrating when you get to a point in in the metro game where like you've done all the things you think you can do and then you're just trying to search every single room to find the specific place that the developers wanted you yeah. to do <laughs> that's the worst then it becomes just like a point and click game yeah <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that's not why you're playing this game so yeah yeah that, that's stuff that's um it's very important Another thing that's, um, I think, really valuable is to make areas of the map very distinct from one another. Mm -hmm. So that'll also help with navigation. So, like, you can use color schemes. You can use, like, fancy... You can use the signposting um, in addition to that. And you can also use, like, um, new environments and stuff. Um, I think, like, the original Metroidvania uh, was... I don't think it did a great job of it because they were very limited in how, all the things they could do. Yeah, know? there were some samey... But they, I think they made an effort. They did, yeah. But, I think there were some color yeah. changes and stuff, but, like, I don't... They I mean, they just didn't do everything. But Super Metroid did a much better job of it. All of the environments feel very different from one Yeah. Um, Even in Super Metroid, though, um, because it's a... You go screen to screen, yeah. kind of, um, The you are looking at such a tiny part of a larger area, which is a tiny part of the larger world. Yeah. And so the, the variety that would be required to make every single screen unique... Yeah. Is uh, a little bit, a little bit, hot, a little bit greater a challenge than they could rise to. Yeah. Also, it would be ridiculous if you did. Mm -hmm. Right. It would actually be damaging in other ways. Yeah. I think they found a really good balance, but there's still a couple of times where you're like, you're just like, wait a minute. Um, where like you get, can get like immediately lost. Yeah. And it, a lot of that has to do with like just how what you're thinking about right now. Yeah. Like it's not the game's fault exactly. It's just it's an environment in which you can just be like you could like lose track of how many doors you went through. Sure. Yeah. And then suddenly you're entirely lost <laughs> yeah. because he's like, is it four or five? Like, Oh no, now I have no idea where I am. <laughs> yeah. And I think one way to make, uh, to mitigate some of that is to make sure that like each individual room you have like has unique shapes. So yes. like, and, and, and the ways you get through them are unique in, in ways too. So like mm -hmm. maybe, maybe you go into a room and it's like a vertical shaft or something and you have to yeah. climb up to get to the next part of the area. Or like um, the final door has like two steps to reach it. And then the door after that has six steps to reach it. Yeah. And they're both square rooms, but like that is enough of a difference mm -hmm. for you to like, you know, tie a string around your finger. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, those kinds of things you can use um, to, 
you know, make it easier to navigate. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll, like I said, a large part of uh, Metroidvania is navigation. Um, and it's very frustrating when it's difficult to do that. Uh, yeah. Uh, I guess I just wanted like a, a, a small overview on this thing. But there's a video series um, from Game Maker's Toolkit that does a really good job of explaining what Metroidvania is doing. They analyze um, a lot of the Metroid games and some of the Castlevania games. And they also, the last video they did was uh, Hollow Knight, and it's like a 40 minute long thing, but it's yeah. really good. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's yeah. a good example. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but uh, that's all I have for Metroidvanias. Y'all have something, I mean, Metroidvania things that you want to bring up too that are related to this? Um, well, in terms of like level design. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think in terms of Widget Satchel, mm-hmm. I think that was one of the things that, um, because Metroidvanias is not a genre I'm super familiar with, like sure. it's not one of my go tos. Yeah. So when we were putting it together, I was learning a lot oh, okay. about like uh, how, how to do it right. And a lot of, uh, uh, I had a lot of my instincts as to like how to structure it. And I'm like, oh, no, that's not quite right. But it was, a, it was really fun. Mm-hmm. And it, um, it was the fun that's not super challenging. And what, what I mean is not that it was like challenge, not challenging to get it right. Because yeah. that's still, and the, whether that's true or not is up to you. Uh, mm-hmm. Go buy the game and tell me. <laughs> um, but um, uh, like it was so much fun to discover why things should work this way or like yeah. why this is a good piece of advice for structuring a thing like this. Yeah. That was an awful lot of fun. Yeah. And like, you know, like, oh, you should hide a thing. And so I would, I would you know, because then that's really rewarding and like it's sort of a, an area you need to unlock, you need a certain thing to do. But then we play test it and players would just blow by it every time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, because they have no reason to look. Yeah. Right. And so we'd like, oh, okay. So th- you can either uh, block them somewhere so that they have a reason to wander around and look for something else to just to stumble on it. Or you can make like make it a little bit e- like you could hint at it a little bit more. So instead of uh, uh, running the camera up to a wall, you run the camera one sort of area, a little bit past the wall. Yeah. So it's easier to see the edge. And like as the developer, I'm like, well, then it's just obvious. But like, no. <laughs> because the player, not because the player is obtuse, but because the player is not looking there. Right. And so getting in that, that sense of like how a, how a player takes in the world and like, you know, making sure each area ha- was unique, like fully unique, yeah. even if it was similar to a previous area. Because a lot of times you want to call back certain things. You want to... You want to have a player do a really challenging part and then a really sort of a simpler part, or you want to bring back explicitly the same type of jump from here to here. Yeah. You still need to make it a little different because like in a Mario game or a game that's just linear, you can repeat areas and that can, that can have its own aesthetic value, right. uh, which is kind of interesting. But in a Metroidvania, that becomes a liability. Mm-hmm. And so just learning how all of that worked and then putting into action was so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, one thing that I was fascinated by, like the process of doing Widget Satchel, and it seems like it's consistent with other developers as well, is that uh, you kind of just stumble upon like your world, the way your world builds um, yeah. as you do it. Like, uh, yeah, like we were, you know, we had ideas for where all of our, like everything was going to fit into place and stuff like that. But as we did it, we were like, oh, this doesn't quite work. We should maybe move this thing around. Oh, but if we move it over here, then like this works better for this spot. And then like everything can come together here. This is great. Uh, you know, like all of that stuff came together in a way that was really cool. Yeah. Um, it felt like we, you know, if we had like a bunch of Eureka moments as we yeah. were doing it, which was really cool. And it sounds like uh, that was also the case with the Hollow Knight developers. Mm-hmm. I'll spoil a little bit of that, um, the video that I was talking about. But uh, they had said that like as they were building the things um, where it made sense to like make connections between different areas in, in um, Hollow Knight, they would just start doing that. Yeah. So like the world expanded and now and so there are like a bunch of different ways to get to different um, areas in the map. Whereas uh, I think originally there were like, you know, one there was like one specific critical path that they in- anticipated players going through. Yeah. Um, so like that that organic expansion of the map, like uh, is really cool like, how that came across. Yeah, it's really you you always had a little overconfident about the idea you have and then yeah. you put it on paper and then you start making it and you're like, okay, I got to adjust it here, there, whatever. Mm-hmm. But in a game like that, it's so much more that you have to do the design by doing. Yeah. Like you cannot see how it works until, until it's, you start stitching it together. Yeah. Not to say that you shouldn't plan out in advance. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you should, you, but here's the thing. Yeah. That you should always treat that as the sort of inciting incident of your sort of idea story. Yeah. Right? Like totally. it's the, you, you know, if you have something that's like, oh, I, this is so cool. I love this idea. It's so great. I even pr- uh, prototyped this little thing in isolation. It's so perfect. And then you start putting it together. It doesn't make sense in that space anymore. We'll yeah. put it back in the idea bucket because you, it's, it started building you this space, but now the space doesn't need it anymore. Yeah. And like, you need to really be open to that. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yep. Ah, development. That's <laughs> <laughs> a fascinating field. Martha, we're ready for your transition. Okay. Do okay. It. Okay. Okay. When you're playing Metroid game, 
you'll want to save the animals. <laughs> it was better before. <laughs> yeah, it was more organic. It's okay. Uh, what's your topic then, Martha? My topic is ferrets. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> this game stars a ferret. <laughs> um, yeah, so one thing that's cool about all of the different animals that we have on Earth is that they all do really cool things um, and are all really different. Um, and you can use that to spark game ideas and game mechanics yeah. and stuff like that. That's how Clawbreaker came into fruition. Yeah. Yes. No, claws don't expand their arms. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but they do, like, when they fight, cut each other's arms off right. sometimes and also froth at the mouth. So that's why we have that taunt in the game. And, yeah. Um, and they do fight each other. So, mm-hmm. I mean... Eh. <laughs> pretty close to nature yeah <laughs> well there's that sort of level of verisimilitude that yeah. comes from it being reminds you of a thing mm-hmm. right and then in, in in the in the in the making of it it can help you form a cohesive idea rather than a sort of an abstract notion yeah right it doesn't matter if it all lines up right yeah <laughs> totally yeah it doesn't matter that sprocket is always on two legs like, yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> but it does make sense the sprocket jumps around yes. because ferrets do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like even this little behavior that they do. It's like the the weasel war dance is what they call it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like when they get really excited, they're like jump around and twist around and stuff like they that. They look like if, if you dropped a slinky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's pretty, pretty awesome. Mm. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll just talk about some black footed ferret facts mm-hmm. because Sprocket's a black ferret, right? Uh, kind of? Undetermined. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually one of the things in designing the character, the visual element of the character, I was really inspired by Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, in, yeah. In the sense that like, it should it should be what I say it is, <laughs> but it doesn't actually have to match exactly right. It should feel like that's what it is. Yeah. And so I didn't put a lot of, I didn't put a lot of demands on getting like the fur pattern exactly the way. Yeah. And luckily, um, and my worry was like, people wouldn't know what kind of animal it was. Mm. And I was sort of okay with that. But for the most part, people are recognizing it as a ferret. So I'm like, all right, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, I think it's artistic interpretation yeah. is, yeah, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to but exactly I, you know, match. Uh, it being a ferret was because uh, our teammate Sarah is is a huge, you know, uh, ferret lover. Right. And so it was really, when we were doing the original jam, it was just like, oh, Sarah, you love ferrets. Let's do a ferret. Like, <laughs> so it didn't come from anywhere uh, from, you know, th- that was that particularly motivated. Mm-hmm. It was just sort of an idea we thought would be good. And then you build and you sort of, you justify it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think accidentally you've made, yeah. you've made a ferret, very ferret-like game. Well, that, it, um, definitely once we decided on the character, that informed mechanics mm. from the beginning. Yeah. Did, and yep. so um, uh, that's definitely true. Um, but I didn't know much else. I was learning about what ferrets did that weekend, right? It was, <laughs> and as we were coming up with like the way you and Lane put the jump together originally, yeah. that sort of thing, right? Yeah, totally. Nice. Yeah. Um, so the black-footed ferret in real life is um, actually pretty endangered. That's mm-hmm. why one of the things that we've been doing for marketing is um, you set up or... Yeah, we set up a, uh, um, a, a rebroadcast of a live stream of, uh, of a black-footed ferret um, exhibit um, that uh, just highlights this, the, 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 uh, um, the fact that these are endangered creatures. Yes. Um, and we have, we'll have links for um, conservation efforts as well that we're sort of tried to, you know, uh, raise a little bit of awareness. And again, like I said, you know, we just want to make a fun ferret game. But then when you <laughs> learn about it, you're like, oh, this is actually an interesting topic. It'd be nice to use this as an opportunity to, to say something about it. Yeah. 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 Um, they used to be like all across up and down the United States in the sort of the western part of the United States. Um, and then... Um, it's kind of one of those things where like pandas and other animals that have get into a very specific niche, then if something happens to that niche, then they also have problems. So blackfooted ferrets exclusive, almost exclusively eat prairie dogs. So mm. their life is tied to the lives of the prairie dogs. And oh. so if the prairie dogs get plagued, then <laughs> the ferrets gonna, effectively get the plague. Too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> or like, um, one th- thing that has been a problem with conservation efforts is that um, ranchers and farmers really don't like prairie dogs because they like make holes in the soil. It makes it hard to, you know, um, to, to till the soil because they're all in there making tunnels and stuff. Yeah. And um, they pass diseases around and just generally are not great 
for like human activity by them. Sure. Um, and so they, there's a lot of efforts to get rid of the prairie dogs, but then that also gets rid of the ferrets. Yeah. <laughs> ah, okay. So um, at one point they were, um, there's this um, organization called the IUCN, which is the International Union for Conservation of Nature and Natural Resources, which is a, a UN. Um, they're the people who decide what things are considered endangered globally. Okay. Um, and they had put them, listed them as extinct in the wild. And then they found, they found like a population of 18 individuals in South Dakota. Oh, wow. And they captured them and then started, um, started the, the Fish and Wildlife Service in tandem with a bunch of zoos and a bunch of tribal organizations started breeding programs. And now they've been able to reintroduce them into, um, four or five different sites. Um, and now they've got a population of about um, like three, 200, 300 mm -hmm. of them in the wild, oh, which man. is really good. That's and a pretty exciting. stark change from 12. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're like stable. So they're like not, they're like doing well. Okay. So that's, that's good. But there's, you know, that's a fraction. Like you look at the map on the world we'll link to these things, but uh, ma the map on the IUCN and you'll see their historic range versus their, they're now, now they're reintroduced range and yeah. it's like tiny little green dots in the sea of red. Yeah. So okay. still more effort is needed. And, you know, we have to protect the ones that are there um, right. from all the things that were already killing them off. So mm -hmm. yeah, more work to do, but it's like one of the first um, like reintroduce reintroductions in the United States that's worked and is, is good. Ooh. So uh, oh. yeah. And they had that with um, bison too. Yeah. Breeding, breeding programs in zoos mm -hmm. um, to get them back up into wild populations. So Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We learned a little bit about ferrets as pets when we were starting on Widget Satchel. Mm -hmm. And it, that's sort of interesting. They're, they're, they're kind of, they're not as easy as cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And a part of the appeal is that they're so interesting and silly. Like they, they really have a quirky quality to them. Yeah. And so they, they uh, are a little bit more appealing for domestication, even though they're not quite perfect for it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and in fact, they, they are, um, they're not legal in some uh um, states and municipalities. Oh, interesting. Uh, um, are they legal in Minnesota? Do you know? You know, I don't know. Okay. You should look into that. <laughs> Not that I want a ferret. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I remember, like, when we were looking this kind of stuff up, uh, I remember that ferrets were notorious for, like, gathering a bunch of stuff and just taking a bunch of things and yes. holding on to them. And that was just... a big pillar for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did the exact same thing in the game. <laughs> yep. No, like, when, to keep a ferret happy, like, they require a lot of toys. Yeah. Like, that's what, like a, the psychological health of a ferret as a pet mm -hmm. requires lots of stimulation. And so you, if, uh, you see on, on YouTube people who own ferrets just piles of stuff <laughs> because they, they need to be, because they're, they're nocturnal and yeah. they, need, they need stimulation and they will, you know, they'll get very depressed without uh, um, a lot of stuff. Sure. And so um, that is, uh, that, it's sort of interesting, but it, all, it lends a quality to, um, that it, it's like people have dogs and dogs are different, but yeah. ferrets seem to have this quality that's, that's specific yeah. to all of them, <laughs> the, the domesticated ones. Mm -hmm. Um, but really interesting, like they stink, they bite, they only eat meat. Yeah. Um, and so they're difficult pets, but like very rewarding if you can put in the effort. Right. That's what I've heard. Um, I myself, I don't know that I would, uh, ever get a ferret, <laughs> uh, partly because of the, those extra maintenance reasons, but yeah. also because I don't know, um, how how domesticated they really are in that way sure yeah. um uh, but um it to hear you hear people talk about like like how much they love their ferrets it's 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 like any other pet mm -hmm. but there's something a little special right when you have a a, a weird one <laughs> yeah right it's true That's and then like people really care and then you know the, that 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 population of ferret owners then they become champions for conservation efforts and right. things like that so yeah it's interesting i wonder if you can like walk ferrets in like huh. places <laughs> i mean I guess, if right? you don't mind where you're going. <laughs> yeah. Probably. They do make little harnesses, I think, with leashes. Do they? Uh, I don't know how successful they are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, as far as I can tell, just in cursory research, they are legal. They are legal in Minnesota. Okay. Ah. All right. Well, let's each get one then. <laughs> it's been decided. <laughs> Clubhouse mascots. <laughs> yeah. Um... We we were we were added to a list of ferret games, right? Oh yeah, so yeah, there's this list of 
um, games. We'll link to it, but it's called The Genuine Mustelids. Mustelids. Yes, please buy Widget Satchel, but just know it's not your only option if yes. what you're looking for this holiday season is, is a ferret game. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, um, mustelid is the is the like family that mm-hmm. that ferrets are in, which also includes um, like weasels and badgers and other small mm-hmm. carnivorous carnivorous animals. Right. Um, but yeah, if you you link to that, there's there's even a kind of like Tamagotchi ferret Game Boy Color game, which looks amazing. Oh man, you guys, there's videos of it on YouTube. You should look those up. Uh, Martha, you should, and dear listener as well. Uh, It's very cute. That's pretty great. Yeah, there's a lot. Like Armello was on here. Uh, uh, That's an Australian game. I didn't know it was an Australian game, but that's like a turn-based strategy game with a bunch of um, anthropomorphic animals, and Mm -hmm. it has it has badgers and 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 otters and stuff. So like that game is on here. Redwall is on here. The Lost Legends of Redwall. That's but a famous they made thing, a right? game. I, I guess. <laughs> okay. This is a series of six episodic video games for Microsoft Windows, Mac, and Xbox One. Xbox One. Gasp! It's not old. <laughs> uh, Tooth and Nail is on there. That's a recent. Yeah. That's a recent game, um, which is interesting. I never really thought. Oh, right. There's we have there's some uh, lineage between uh, not ferrets but similar in in, in sort of that style. Um, uh, the one on here that I thought was really interesting is a game called Ferret Scoundrels. Um, that's amazing. <laughs> it's basically ferret. It's a ferret pirate game. Oh You're, wow! You have a pirate crew on the open sea. That's pretty. Cool. I, that's all I know about it. I've just seen this list. I'm now going to look this up. <laughs> I feel like the scoundrel thing is implied when you say ferret. Though. I know, kind of right. <laughs> well, self-reinforcing de- definition. Yeah. <laughs> there was this book series that Dylan read as a kid that and featured ferrets. It was like rescue ferrets at sea. And error ferrets aloft. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty great. I feel like the, a sh- game should be made like that. This mm-hmm. would be like space ferrets rescues junk. <laughs> <laughs> and doesn't bring it back. And just just hides it, it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Cool. cool. <laughs> <laughs> Completely unhelpful. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This is the part of the show where we do a proper ad for Widget Satchel. Yeah. Uh, buy the buy my game. <laughs> buy my game. Do you, do you ever watch the critic? Oh yeah, I've seen some episodes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's how old I am. All right. <laughs> Um, Martha, what are the headline features of which satchel? Can you explain it to me? Um, you play as a ferret. I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> you cause a bunch of mischief. I've already bought this game. So you can stop now. Two you copies. get to blow stuff up. <laughs> wow, that's five copies right there. Yeah. <laughs> One for all my friends and enemies. <laughs> um, and you get to find a bunch of things. Yeah. So many things. All the things, that's like awesome. widgets and socks. That's and right. There are 30 pairs of socks for you to find in this game. Yeah. They're uh, all adorable and amazing. <laughs> uh, there's eight trinkets. There's all, over a dozen uh, 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 terminals you can find to learn about the lore of the game. Yeah. If you're into that sort of thing. This, yo, this lore is like deep, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of stuff. Sprocket is adorable, but there's more to it than just uh, Sprocket's hijinks. There's this whole outer space uh, world you can discover as you play through the game. So there's more to unlock the more you play. So yeah. go through it once, have a blast, fabricate a shuttle and escape into the, into the great beyond yes. and once you've done that do it again and find <laughs> yeah. more there's yeah. more to find there's you know get all those socks get all the achievements over 20 achievements uh, there's a system called mischief score which hey you know what some games are hard and if this game is giving you trouble just knock some stuff over <laughs> and it gives you points <laughs> so there's rewards left and right mm-hmm. um, in this game and, and so um, you know I'm not just, uh, you know, uh, 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 the the president. I'm also a member. Uh, <laughs> I do. Have, one of the things that slowed down development on this game is that we. Uh, I'm sure you did this too. You just stopped to play it for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and like yeah. developers say that all the time, but like I stopped to play it a lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's 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 a fun feeling game. Um, it you know makes you really feel like you're a little jerk, yeah. and <laughs> but with a heart of gold. Yes. It's yeah. A nice a nice jerk. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's available on, did we say this, on all the things? All the things. Steam, itch.io, Switch, and then and that's tomorrow that, or that, today. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> November 27th, it's mm-hmm. out on Nintendo eShop for you to download. It's going to be on Steam and Itch as well on yeah. PC. 
Um, and uh, coming next year, it's on, it'll be on PlayStation and Xbox. Yeah. Um, but don't wait. Uh, buy it now. Yes. Buy it now and then buy it again because in each platform, there are special... That's right. Special collectibles. Yep. So. There's a, a unique socks for each platform. Uh, on Switch, there's a couple of really fun features. Full HD rumble support. Yeah. So feel, feel the war dance as you jump around. <laughs> and, and it actually makes noise. It's yeah. very, very cool. Um, and uh, also, if uh, this fun special feature I'm particularly proud of, if you own a uh, NES controller, a classic NES controller, the wireless ones that you uh, get for being a member of Nintendo Online, um, fully support it. Yeah. Uh, remaps buttons, controls. It's great. And it, like that, it still has the best D-pad on the planet. It's a great <laughs> way to play a platformer like this. Um, so uh, just fun little touches if you got that platform. And of course, if you uh, you know want, want to wait for PlayStation or Xbox, we'll have some things for the, there as well. Yeah. I believe that feature of the, the being able to use the NES Classic controllers is unique to Witch's House of Crash. As far as I know, no game on the planet does it because it's very difficult. <laughs> we'll <get> first. <laughs> yes, because it's not. We can talk about that in a future episode of yeah. Real Details because it's. And I got to decide what is under NDA and what is not. Oh yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, if you're looking for official support, you're not going to find it anywhere else. So it's a fun little feature. Uh, yeah. not, not the headline feature, but like it, it shows the love and care we put into this game. And so I, I hope that that uh, um, you you know uh, uh, pick it up and enjoy it. Yes. Buy it now. Now, go. Stop the podcast. Go buy it now. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're back to the show. Um, yes. And I wanted to talk about uh, world building. Um, in, you know, in our desperate pitch for Widget Satchel, um, Stephen, you mentioned how, how big and, and, and bold the lore of the game is. Yes. Uh, needlessly so, perhaps. <laughs> um, that's, that's a failing on my part. Uh, <laughs> There's maybe a little bit too much, but the idea of of having a um, a world that a game is part of, and I think we've talked about this in the show before. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, platformers are unique in that it's like a little hard to do, and also players don't necessarily love it when you stop the game for like a ton of cutscenes, yeah. or lots of dialogue. Right. And so doing it in a way that is uh, true to the mechanics of the game is pretty difficult yeah. and 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 that was a challenge we had but i want to talk about it generally about you know, you know how you might want to approach it in a game that you're making um and why you might want to not do it perhaps and, <laughs> and go in that direction mm-hmm. and maybe a couple of games that have done it pretty well so um a lot of the most beloved platformers yeah. are um totally abstract right like yeah. uh, um mm-hmm. you know th- even a game like super meat boy which has lore it does have a story yeah. you know that's not why people love it mm-hmm. right that is part of the sort of style and attitude of it and that is and, and they, i think they calibrate it pretty well they give you just enough to be interested yeah and to sort of like be part of the reason why you like it um wh- one of the great things you can do with video games is you can hook someone with one thing and then make them love something else yeah and i think that's a, a unique power that video games have mm-hmm. And so um, if you have a new idea that's a little untested, you can, you can bring people in and then they can give you the trust to try something new. And so I, I love that about video games. Yeah. And so that's something you can do. But there are a lot of games that are just like it, as abstract as possible or the lore is just the thinnest of paint by design. Yeah. And that's a really, really good approach if what you're looking for is like precision gameplay right. and if what you want people to get out of it is purely the gameplay yeah and a lot of platformers are that right because you need to get you know that your jump feels unique and all of this stuff so it it makes sense that people approach it in that direction and then when you lean towards games like metroidvanias Mm -hmm. that you know where the platforming skill is maybe less important it's more about uh, puzzle solving then lore becomes a much more important part of the um the scaffolding that sort of holds it all together and it can be something where like oh i really love the gameplay but like the story is like whatever and then that can really turn you off no matter how good the gameplay can be. So it's a bit of a, um, you know, it's an expectation that you have to, to do something, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, but at the same time, also, it, you, know, it's, um, you know, you can find people who would love the gameplay, if not for I don't like this sort of style. So that's a, a, a danger you face in a lot of uh, genres, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in platformers, it's kind of interesting um, because there's a lot of different approaches that games have taken. Yeah, um, yeah. A, a big one is environmental design. Oh, yeah. Right? Like in a game like Hollow Knight, like Hollow Knight has tons in it. Right? It has a lot of story, a lot of lore. It's really, really intricate. Mm-hmm. But the most effective of it is its its visual storytelling. Yeah. Where as you move sort of deeper underground and you move into the and you move into these unusual places, and suddenly you're in a, a brand new space that's like utterly unexpected. Like you just think you understand how this world works, and then oh, there's this pocket of craziness over here, yeah. and then it re it re uh, calibrates your sense of what the world is. And that is all done through just walking through it, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, and, and, you know, that game does a lot. It's sort of RPG-like, where you there's lots of, like, people you meet in hubs oh, that yeah. tell you lots of stories. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's So true. it very much feels like an RPG. So mm-hmm. um, I, I would be a little critical of it on that score. But at the same time, if you love that, then this is perfect, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a failing necessarily, but it's a little different than than how you might want to do it if you're trying to just... Because I think a lot of games do... Um, they alternate back and forth. Sure, here's yeah. some gameplay. Here's, here's some, some story. story yep. And platformers um, ha- probably have the ho- uh, the most awkward when they do that. Yeah. Uh, so environmental storytelling is a way to sort of keep the story alive the whole time. Yeah. As you progress through the game, like yeah. using your regular mechanics. Yeah. Yes. And that's one of the things we tried to do in Widget Satchel, where you know the each uh, level of the station is um, the architecture is different, mm-hmm. right? And so that changes the gameplay. Yeah. Um, but also it changes the sort of sense of like, well, what's the purpose of this, right? Yeah. Because the other thing in platformers when it comes to story is these are impossible spaces. Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> Very much so. In order for them to be interesting to play in, mm-hmm. they have to be stupid. Yeah. <laughs> like, you have to have floating platforms, you have to have like rooms that are way too tall. Yeah. You have, to have all this <laughs> empty space that has like, you could put like things in it, but like, what is the purpose of any of this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so you can, you can use your storytelling to find ways to justify that fully. And I think that that's a, I would say that's a bit of a mistake if you're trying to fully justify that. I think a better approach, and I think I think opinions can vary on this, but in my opinion, a better approach is to um, form an agreement with the player, right? Yeah. To say like, this is ridiculous, but like, if you cross your eyes, it makes a little sense. Yeah, and it, it you give some like um, um, some affordances to gameplay, and then you 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 just let the world. You just, it's it's a um, uh, um, what do they say in in stories like a suspension of disbelief? Oh, yeah, sure, yeah right. Yeah. That's pretty important to the gameplay element of it is to 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 make that gameplay work. Yeah, but at the same time, you do want to use your mechanics in a way that that signpost stories. So if you have enemies posted in front of a certain area, you think, well, if this were a real government facility, I'm sneaking into, <laughs> like uh, that doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah. why would that person be up on that perch? Why are they guarding that when the only way to get through it is through like a ton of challenge that only super ninjas could do. Mm. Like, why does that make any sense? But it makes sense that there's a guard on this door. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so the, you sort of have use the language of your, of your world to sort of to, to tie in with mechanics like that. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's pretty important. And also like sometimes real world buildings can be super weird like that. Like yeah. last night I went and me and Dylan went and saw the local or the, the, my Bim Bam show, the My Brother, My Brother and Me show, because they played live here, and they played at the at the Orpheum, mm-hmm, and okay. in the upstairs women's bathroom <laughs> at the Orpheum, it, I walked in, and I was like, was this computer generated? Because <laughs> <laughs> like some stalls were over here in a corner, and mm-hmm. then like you had to walk down this little hallway to get to a sink, and then you turned like, three corners to get to another set of stalls, yeah. and it was very confusing, and they uh. had to have like an usher in there directing people to like oh, which way wow. to go, and we're like... Who designed this bathroom? <laughs> well, it's likely an old building like the Orpheum was probably, um, it was designed after the fact. Yes. Right? Yeah. It was designed to fit into an existing superstructure or they needed extra bathrooms because time moved on and people realized you need more than one or two. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, and you can use that kind of idea in your games as well. You can have sort of your impossible structures appear makeshift. Yeah. Or imply like, oh, this is how it was built and then this was added on later. And you can do that with like color and art. And you can also do that with like, oh, this platform helps me get to the next area, but it's only, but it's the design of it is like sort of a, a rough scaffolding or like a, a rock instead of a, like an official platform. So it's like, oh, it's lucky. I'm lucky that that's here. But of course it's here. The developer put it there. <laughs> but you can apply a story reason for why certain things are the way they are that can give you uh, as the player a sort of a feeling of immersion. Um, you know, in, 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 or you can have like, oh, I've crossed three bridges. That's how I get to the next thing. But this, this next bridge is out. Oh no, what, what t- bad luck. Uh-huh. But really it's all designed that way, of course, but you can use those story elements to set expectations and confound them yeah. or give people pleasant surprises. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I think you can use it. I mean, Nick, you can also use it to like, just help communicate as I was talking about in the Metrovania level design, you can use it to communicate um, the different aspects of like the world and the different aspects and what things you need to get through certain aspects of the game. So like uh, maybe uh, you're, uh, you're in, I don't know if Shadow Complex did this, but like Metroid, Metroid games oftentimes have like doors with re- the red ones that you can only get through if you shoot a missile at them. Yeah. So you have to go find missiles in order to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I don't think they ever really explain why they do, but like you could explain in your game why like this door needs a missile to get through it or something like that. You can describe the, it. Yeah. The red plating is is like super heavy duty, so yeah. you can only... 
Yeah, I think Metroid Prime games do a lot better job of lore stuff because yeah. most of the game is scanning things. Right. <laughs> right. And so yeah. games that are explicitly about exploration and discovery, like the Prime series, right. uh, where there is a lot of text. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's, 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 its, that's a strength, mm -hmm. right? That's not a failing of right. it, right? And then you can find all sorts of ways. And what's really great is that communicating mechanics is something that happens sort of viscerally, mm -hmm. right? And, and as a designer, you need to find ways to tell the player what to do without putting it in a big wall of text. Yeah. But what's such a joy and so much fun as a designer to do is then however you worked out how that works because you'll change the design to make it possible to communicate. Right. But what you can then do is then you can say, well, how would this, if I was coming at it from just a story perspective and I'm like, how would I do that? How would I justify it? And you can find like a crazy reason. It could be sort of a joke, right? Yeah. Um, and then you can put that somewhere else in the game so that when the player discovers that, then they have like a richer, more multi-dimensional view of the world. Yeah. They still operate and 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 interact with these uh, at, from a gameplay perspective. Yeah. But then they get to sort of have this sort of parallel experience of the story. And I think that that is something where when you think about like tying in your story and mechanics together, um, it, it having them be exactly the same as each other is probably not great. Mm. But having them like um, reinforce each other or or be kind of like alter, like two sides of a coin yeah. can be really, really fun. Yeah. One of the ways we did that in Widget Satchel is we um, the maintenance bots in the game, and they're, they're your principal enemies, and um, we, we have a couple different variations. They move at different speeds, they have different abilities, They when they hit you, different things happen. Um, and it's not a ton of variety, but it's just enough for you to like ha have to uh, uh, approach them differently. Yes. And so we have uh, this regular bot, which just moves at like the, the normal sort of standard speed that all the other ones are based on. Mm -hmm. And then they hit you, they take, you know, uh, widgets or socks from you. Mm -hmm. But then we have the steel bot, which moves slower yeah. and can't be hit with, uh, can't be disabled. So yeah. it has, there's a story structure there like, oh, it's, it's, so it's heavier. It's why it moves slower. Mm -hmm. So these are all story justifications. So, you know, that's pretty easy. That, that communicates it in a gameplay sense. Like yeah. this looks heavier. So it move it naturally moves slower. So that's story, but it, it is mechanics. Yeah. But then, it, in, you know, if you're looking for a lot of the story elements in the game, you can read a little bit about how the bots are designed and what they're for. Right. And you can find out why they work that way. So you have the plastic bot, which moves very fast uh, and has this translucent body. So like, oh, it's light. It moves fast. Mm -hmm. um, but then when it hits you, it only takes one widget instead of three. Okay, fine, whatever. That's the mechanic I understand. But then you read about it and you learn that like, oh, this is designed with an overclocked processor, so its motors run faster. That's why it moves fast. Yeah. And it has all the stuff taken out of it, so it has no, no holding bay to hold things it takes. Yeah. So like, you don't need to know any of that. But once you learn that, it gives the extra dimension to it. And I really love, I love peppering in the world like that. Yeah. Where, and that's one of the things people talk about all the time. It's like, oh, it's there if you want it. Like, that can be kind of a slur, right? It's like, oh, if it's not, in, if it's not important or vital, why bother? Yeah. But there's the idea of having, like, it's the whole onion, right? Yeah. Like it's, you know, it's great on its own, but like as you peel it, peel it, you, there's just, it's more interesting. Yeah. You discover more of the game as right. you do the thing. And like, that's the, uh, I mean, our game does that, but Hollow Knight also does that. So mm -hmm. that like, like there are a lot of places like hidden areas you can go into. And oftentimes it's just like a character's just there and you can talk to the character, but like it doesn't add anything to your gameplay. Yeah. Um, but like, they're still cool. Cause like you still get to have a conversation with this random person yeah. in the thing. Um, I like the way that we, I like the way that they implemented it in Hollow Knight and we do something similar in that like the way you find lore, um, some aspects of lore in the game is like through exploration and discovering and finding hidden areas. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's good because like it, it ties, you know, the, the narrative and the mechanics of the game together in a way that makes it so that the player is motivated um, the same way if they want a narrative experience or a gameplay experience. Yeah. And one of the ways we do the like the textual storytelling mm -hmm. is um, th those little terminals you find in the game that give you the sort of lore dumps. We call them Expediopedia entries, yeah. right? Because it's the uh, encyclopedia of the expedition. Uh -huh. That's um, amazing. <laughs> I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when you find those, they're written from the an in-world perspective, mm -hmm. and that's really common. Audio logs, right? Like right. We, they're, they're cliche at this point, mm -hmm. but they're effective, right? Yeah. And Captain's so, log. <laughs> Um, but when you think about how you tell your story in other ways, so we have modal boxes that just pop up and tell you things, mm -hmm. right? So uh, I've talked about how much I love um, in Mario games when a toad tells you to press A. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. I think that is just that that is a, a really good type of storytelling and to, to, to recognize the relationship the player has with the, 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 the experience. Yeah. And instead of trying to just say like, oh, you have this like device in your hand that is, you know, like really just to try to like, 
cover it in story because right. it's just a waste of time in certain cases. Sometimes you do want to do that. Yeah. But um, I, I love that. And, and we do a little bit of that in, in modal boxes where we, ex- we uh, explain things to you. But we do an, um, a thing that I, I, I was really, really happy with where it's an explicit second person kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So everything all that is all about how you could do this and you can do that and you are this or you are that. So yeah. a lot of times when, um, when you find something, um, uh, you find a, a sock, it describes to you what the sock is, but not like in a lore sense, like you're reading the, the tag or the description. It describes what it is to you, Sprocket. Yeah. So when, I, when, when the game talks about you, it's not talking about you, the player, it's talking about you, Sprocket. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I really like doing that because um, like, there's, a, there's a trinket in the game called the Brass Penny Whistle. Yeah. And it's just this like bent, cheap uh, uh, noisemaker uh-huh. that you find. And the, the description is like, it's a, it's a stick with holes in it it makes noise, you love it, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And so what that does is it, it, it like, you know, the, pl- the player doesn't have to love it, mm-hmm. right? But Sprocket does. Yeah. And so you learn about Sprocket through those things. Right. So when you, um, in the, the, the game has cutscenes that are very short between levels as a way of like a break, right? So yeah. there's a mechanical purpose. Mm-hmm. And they're very short. They only have one of the human characters and then they, they tell the sort of background story that's happening. And you learn a little bit about how what their relation to sprocket is even though none of it is about sprocket yeah right it's all a different story and so the idea is that it, it invites the player to pull in and and in certain cases that it explains game mechanics it does it in a way that relates to sprocket rather than to the player yeah and i i'm i'm really really proud of that and i think that i hope it comes across i think people will be the judge of that um but that was a really fun thing to to do and to leverage and to sort of keep going on and the more you see it i hopefully the more sense it will make yeah yeah you know it reminds me of donut county yeah. uh they have a like after each level there's like an encyclopedia of stuff um that and it's all from the raccoon's perspective so yeah. things are all like this is this is annoying and lame and i hate it and it's like you know <laughs> a milkshake or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, I, I I love that. I think one of the other fun examples that I really liked doing in Widget Satchel was when you, you find a um, there's a pair of socks in the game that's just one sock, mm-hmm. and it has a tag on it that's ripped, so the other sock has gone somewhere, and it's the single birthday sock, and yeah. it looks like a cake, right? And the, it, the there's a tag attached to it, and the description is a single sock with a tag. You don't know what it says, <laughs> right? Because you're a fairy, you can't read, right? Like, yeah. You know, uh, uh, of course, you know how would you read any of the things that are elsewhere? But it's <laughs> That's kind of the fun dimensionality of it, right? Yeah. But you, the player, you can read that tag. Mm-hmm. And it's a fun little message. Yeah. And it tells you a little bit about the relationship between one of the humans and Sprocket. And so I, I think those kinds of things, like in Donut County, like to give the world something that's not just an explanation, mm-hmm. but implies relationships, implies mm-hmm. history, implies narrative yeah. in a way that is different from a cutscene, which is story. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I think when you're designing, um, narrative or lore for a game where you're not actually experiencing the story through gameplay mm-hmm. um, you need to be mindful of of finding ways to do it in a way that isn't just an info dump yeah. right? um, or find ways to have variety of, of storytelling so sometimes it's info dump right because <laughs> yeah. I do like reading those things <laughs> and then a lot of people do yeah, yeah um, totally. but the, to find ways to give someone some reward not not just here's a fact about this this world i created aren't yeah. you proud of me it's <laughs> it's here's a fact that gives you a greater understanding and is interesting and and has um and and unlocks a secret between two things that maybe you were wondering about mm. um it actually provides something to the player yeah right yeah yeah that's great so one of the things about uh storytelling especially in platformers maybe less so no even in like uh, metrovanias where you have to sort of go left and right and all over the place mm-hmm. is how do you tell a story that is not go from A to B? Oh, okay, right? sure, yeah. I mean, games have this a lot, but yeah. like um, the idea of like so many of the sort of um, the motivations of the the character in a platformer mm-hmm. is I have to get to here, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. that's what the gameplay is. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I wonder, and and Witch's Hatch is exactly the same way, right? Yeah. We subvert it just a little bit in the sense that you have to get here, but then it doesn't matter if you don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of. Yeah, yeah. But no, but still, I mean, it doesn't really uh, uh, break the rules that much. It's mm. not. It's it's not really an innovator in that 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 sense. Yeah. But I'd be curious to know what it would take. To tell a story that that is works like a platformer that, that is, isn't that you don't have to get to a destination or do a goal in this destination or bring something to a destination or something like that. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, if that, even if that is the gameplay, yeah. how do you make the story not dependent on that? 
Uh, is, that yeah. a, is that a challenge? Is that like, who cares? Like, that is what it is, and that's no, fine? No, I, I mean, I'm very fascinated about how we could possibly do that. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, you can, you know, add variety in narratives. That's good. Like, mm-hmm. open world platforming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like, I think that, like, go from A to B is not just unique to platformers, but it's, like, unique. Yes, it's, it's, it is the case in almost, I want to say, all games. Yeah. Like, you always have a goal. You need to go to a place. So you got to fight through enemies or you need to uh, you go know. to a place, do a thing. Yeah, you go to a place, do a thing. So yeah. you need to fight enemies to get through it or shoot enemies to get through it or walk or whatever. You know, yeah. there's a bunch of different options, but you always want to get to the goal or something or you oftentimes want to get to the goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess like fighting games don't have this thing. You want right. to just fight enemies. Um, but like, yeah, there's certain genres. I mean, certainly like, um, yeah. uh, you know, uh, visual novels that ne- ne- don't necessarily, they move from place to place, right? Yeah. Or like a game, uh, like a just purely narrative game, like Her Story mm-hmm. or something like that um, doesn't require that. But once you start bringing in the mechanics of movement, yeah. and, and that becomes the principal gameplay experience, it's hard to not tie the story to it. Sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I suppose one thing you could do is if you like uh, zoom out, and like maybe each day you're going from point A to point B, but the overall arcing story is not about the going from point A to point B, but the things you do uh, differently each day. Yeah. So like, I don't know, like maybe, maybe you're like an office worker or something. And this is a platformer. I don't know how this makes sense, but uh-huh. you're an office worker and you got to jump in order to get no to your computer. No platformer makes sense. You're fine. <laughs> okay. You're an office worker. You got to jump to get to your computer and do the stuff. Every day you do the exact same thing. But um, I don't know, each day, like something unique can happen. So maybe one day, like you want to talk to your coworker or something. Another day you're thirsty and you need to, uh, you also want to get water or something. Mm-hmm. And, but like all of those, or like uh, maybe another day last night, um, your son comes home or something and says, I uh, lost my leg in the war. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that like affects your jumping capabilities or something uh-huh. like that. There's, they could be like an overarching narrative, um, even though like each day you're doing, you're going from point A to point B. Uh, your your gameplay in like the the con in the context of the gameplay changes based on what has happened. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, there's a it's maybe a weird example, but there's um, one of the Assassin's Creed games oh. had these um, sort of like meta missions where you were, it was a first person mode mm-hmm. where it was it was first person platforming. Okay, um, you guys remember what I'm talking about? No, I haven't played. So the Assassin's early Assassin's Creed games we, um, would have the normal gameplay, and yeah. then you'd have like the lost in the animus kind of weird and every one of them had a different kind of mode for this okay. mm-hmm. and this one was first person platforming um, and you did have to as a mechanic get from A to B yeah. but it was to accomplish a story like the to sort of like metaphysically move to the next chapter in the story sort ah, of okay. uh, it was in fact it was so abstract that I don't know that I give it a lot of credit for something like this mm. but the way you're describing is like you can have a platforming challenge but ultimately what it could represent in the story is navigating a conversation yeah. or uh, performing a task at the office or something yeah. like that. Um, oh. that would yeah, I think that's a really good idea I don't know I mean, yeah. that seems like a simple implementation of it, but you can take that. Well, Stephen cracked it. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do in Nice Games Club. We solve yeah. problems. <laughs> uh, I do want to end on a really great example. One, that yeah. I, a, a game I love, and I think is a really fun way to do world building um, in a really focused way, which is Thomas Was Alone. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is, uh, um, for people who don't know, it's a game where it's uh, um, you, very abstract. So you play as a red square as mm-hmm. Thomas. And then you meet other characters along the way and you can switch and then you can, and they're different shapes and they have different abilities. So they can jump higher or they, or they become trampolines or whatever. Yeah. And then you, um, the characters then, uh, you combine those mechanics to make it through this the platforming environment. Yeah. And the, the, the story is, you, you, there's a narrator who tells, who talks about the story in a similar way to what I, um, so this is a direct inspiration mm-hmm. into how des- de- describing like the things that Sprocket loves is something that the game tells you rather than the player infers. Okay. And so uh, Thomas was alone talks about the inner thoughts of the characters that you play as. Yeah. And, it, and, and th- that's just canonical. It doesn't matter what you, the player think, right? Mm-hmm. This is what the sto- what is happening. Yeah. And then you have control over this, the, 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 the actions of the characters, but you are then informed by the motivations of the narrator in a way that is almost impossible to act on, but hmm. it just becomes part of your feeling. And I think that's a really good, really good way of, 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 like you can't really you can play that game with the sound off, but it is a much worse experience. Sure, yeah. Like the mechanics are not as fun, interesting, engaging, or revealing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I think that's something that like if people are looking for ways to bring story to games in any genre, that's a really really good example. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I've heard good things about it. I watched my brother play a bit of it, and it's pretty charming. It's not a long game, so yeah. you can pick it up for cheap, and you can get through it in a weekend. Do it as research. Um, and uh, yeah, very good. Yes, after you buy Widget Satchel. Yes, please. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> we'll end on a promotional note. Widget Satchel this week. Yes. November 27th. Switch and PC. And it. Itch and Steam. Mm-hmm. Yes. Go buy it. Buy it now. Well, hey, that's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app. Be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or a nice like us. We need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends, too. Want to hear directly from you as well, so follow us on Twitter at Nice Games Club, where Dale posts amazing cool stuff about the show, retweets a lot of fun game dev things. It's a great account to follow just to see the funny, interesting stuff that's happening in game dev. And then also cats, because she can't help herself. <laughs> I mean, last time I was editing an episode, I was went on the Twitter to grab something, and mm-hmm. then Dylan's like, why are you just on Twitter now? I was like... I don't know. I just started reading Dale's tweets and then got stuck down a path. And <laughs> it's a very good Twitter now. Yeah. Uh, you can also email us directly. Contact at nicegames.club. Uh, nice uh, let us know what you think of the show. Give us some suggestions. Yeah. Um, and of course, you can find out more about the show and your nice host as we'll get all the links and notes from this and other episodes as well as a direct link to purchase Widget Satchel <laughs> at nicegames.club. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.